Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. I'm Alan Seals. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If this is not your first time listening, welcome back. It's nice to see you again, or it's nice to meet you, whichever is the case here. Our guest today is Sasha Hutchings, who is leading the national tour of Oklahoma. And just, as always, a great person to share a conversation with. She turned lemons into lemonade, as cliche as it sounds, and found a footing in the TV world while Broadway was shut down. So she's part of uh, the cast of Damascus, on A&E, which is going to start airing this spring. Can't wait for that. But she actually knew that she was going to be leading the tour of Oklahoma, and then the pandemic hit, and she just had to wait. Can you imagine this (laughs) massive breakout opportunity and then a pandemic? My gosh, I can't imagine. So as always, social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I don't know, wherever all those things are. Leave your rating, leave a review, send me an email, let me know you're listening. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Sasha Hutchings. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Here you go. One, two, three. Our guest today is a performing powerhouse with Broadway credits, including Memphis, Motown, Rocky, and Hamilton, the original Broadway cast, I might add. She plays Hope on the Stars series Run the World and has additional TV credits, including Smash, Master of None, Jessica Jones, and Fosse Burden. She has an online talk show with fellow Hamilton cast member Nikki Walks, Nick Walker, and now currently is finishing her time in the lead role of Lori Williams in the touring company of Oklahoma, the same role she covered on Broadway. Broadway, Sasha Hutchings. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. Hi, Alan. Thanks for having me. It's good to be Uh, here. Of course. Where are you calling in from today? 
I'm in La La Land, Los Angeles. Los Angeles, yeah. So you, uh, so there's two, right? Two more stops on the Oklahoma tour, right? Yeah. Well, including Los Angeles, so where, yeah. What do they call it? The penultimate, like the next to last penultimate stop. Oh, is that? I don't know. There's the fancy I think words. It's that I've it heard might not of. be. If that's wrong, don't put it in the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that, does that mean the final where, one? The final one is the ultimate. Yeah, right. Like the final one's the ultimate, and then the one before that is the penultimate. So what's the what's the third one? Like we should rename the awards at the at the Olympics, right? So gold is ultimate, Ooh. silver is penultimate, bronze is. <laughs> this bronze is, is sounding one? like um, the process of deciding awards at a dance competition, which I'm very familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> Like Everyone silver, gets a trophy. High silver, and then platinum, high platinum, ultra platinum, and then like, it just like keeps going up. So everyone gets a trophy. Wait, 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 wait! This is all. This is news to me. So, uh, at a dance competition, how many? How many? What? There's like the ten, the top ten get to go home with some shade of of metal. Listen, I don't know how it's going these days with the kids, but what I was. <laughs> <laughs> we last in the dance competition. Yeah, you get scores. So you get like, you know, they're judges and you perform your numbers, like your pieces, like you perform your tap dance to like Britney Spears Toxic. And then they <laughs> rate you or they like give you a score and they add them all up. And the scores themselves all add up to some sort of like level of recognition. So it's going to be like, you got gold or you got high gold or you got, platinum high platinum titanium platinum i don't know and so then like it's just like you get an award or you get a ribbon sometimes you get a little medal or trophy or something and then at the very end you get like high score or something where it's like they actually take the people who got the highest scores in each category and then they get like the ultra dynamite like diamond something or other award that sounds way too complicated for a three-year-old yeah, it's complicated for, you know, three to 18. Like, it's it's complicated now. I have complicated it's, feelings around it now. It's three to <laughs> three to 48, right. Yeah, let's just, right. let's go with that. So you got to yeah. be 50 to understand dance words. You know, so you started compl- dancing. complicated and you got to learn that somewhere. Might as well <laughs> that's, right. that's like your taxes and dance <laughs> awards. Those are the two yeah. things that people have no clue that need to learn. Uh, yeah. When did you start dancing, though? You started dancing at a real young age, right? When I was three. When I was three years old. I started, you know, my, it was not anything deep. My mom was like, we need to give her something to do. She won't stop running around the house. <laughs> I think that's what I need to put my kids into. I guess they, they don't stop running. So soccer and dance. That's what my sister, and taxes. sister chose soccer. <laughs> <laughs> so then you started it, you started at three to uh, Britney Spears is toxic, obviously. And then I think uh, we had to change that song. I think the song was too racy, and they changed it to something else, like se- semi toxic or high high toxic, like platinum yeah. toxic, something like that. Like yeah, like low silver toxic. <laughs> and then they took the best of the toxics and made it like ultra radioactive. And then yeah. that was the oh shoot, not Radiohead. Who's the radioactive? Uh, Imagine Dragons. That's the Imagine Dragons award. I yes. see where we're going oh, with this. Yeah. This is this is taking a downward turn a long time ago so as a as a wee lass you were dancing and yes. and you start um i guess at, at what point did you realize like hey i'm gonna do this 
for for like more than just fun or was it just fun for a long time or was there like a a a penultimate show that you saw that right. was like this is what I want to do yeah it was a slow burn I'll say dance was a dance as a career was a slow burn for me I went to a lot of dance competitions thinking you know this is fun but like complicated and I don't know if I want this for the rest of my life. Um, so I, you know, I danced from three and it was just sort of this, it existed in my life. I never wanted to stop dancing. I never questioned it. It was just, yeah, next year we'll sign up for dance lessons again. Like, of course, like this is part of, part of my life. I go to school, I eat lunch, I trade, you know, juice boxes. And then afterwards I go to dance. So it really became like a part of my life and something that I never wanted to like eliminate. And then when I got you know, it comes time to like your junior, senior year and people are like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, whoa, I'm 16. Like, I don't know. I'm just living. Like, I'm trying to learn how to parallel park, but also what to do with the rest <laughs> of my life. And so I, I came to the conclusion that I didn't want to stop dancing, that I wanted dance to continue to be a part of my life. So I started looking at programs and schools that had strong dance programs, but maybe had a minor that I could, you know, sort of like fall back on my, my fallback plan. Parents love to talk about a fallback plan. <laughs> like for be safe. your teachers. Yeah. What's, what's, your, what's your fallback? What's your backup? What's your fallback? Um, no, my parents are actually very supportive. Um, they, you know, when I said I want to dance, we started looking at schools. We started looking at programs. We looked at things, you know, okay, well, <laughs> my mom was like, well, what about the Harvard dance program? And I was like, I don't think that's why people go to Harvard. And so started <laughs> <laughs> looking at other schools and my teacher, my studio director, uh, Pam Malarczyk, um, she pulled out a flyer for Oklahoma City University and was like, you're going here. And she was also one who like when we would take classes and things that in like in New York and they'd say, well, who wants to do this for like, you know, for real? And I would just like sit there and kind of be like, oh, I don't know. She would like raise my hand for me. Um, and so I finally I caught on that this is something I should probably pursue and that I wanted to pursue. And I started auditioning. Um, and I just, it was all about dance. And then I got, when I, you know, got to Oklahoma City University, I discovered like musical theater. I had no idea what it was before that. They were doing um, what's the the musical with the plant, um, Little Shop of Horrors. They were doing Little that Shop. in our high school. And they were like, are you going to audition, Sasha? You like do theater and dance. And I was like, I'm a dance competition dancer. Like, I don't do theater. And then I realized like, oh, wait, theater is like really cool. And I can like have a real like profession in this. Um, so I started studying theater and, and uh, acting and music um, and voice in college. But it wasn't until then. All of it was really like three to 18 was mostly me just like sort of being like, yeah, let's keep doing that dance thing. And then can we go to Subway? Like it was really just like a sort of thing that existed in my life. And I maybe even took for granted that it could become more. Um, and it wasn't until I was faced with the idea that I could just stop and go, you know, study to be like a biologist or something and not dance anymore. that I was like, wait a minute, like this is incredibly important to me. Um, I can't live my life without a high platinum you know, the potential of a high Is that platinum. what you, <laughs> yes, high platinum. Is that what you would have done if you got onto biology or like being a, pro, being a professional ju juice box trader? Because you, you glossed Ooh. over that part in the elementary school. Juice boxes, really Capri Sun, somewhere like juice bags. Um, I mm. would have gone into, what would I have done? I think I was looking at like literature. I liked reading and writing. 
Um, which I think also is kind of akin to theater. Like I was like, I like stories. I was going to say that that's an equally useful degree in most cases. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> like I wasn't thinking of anything that was like the only, I was like, I could go study law, but like, I had no idea like what lawyers really did. My dad was a doctor and I knew I didn't want to do that because what gross, like people are gross. Like we're gross. Humans are gross. <laughs> you only go to a doctor when something is severely wrong and you have a rash that you can't figure out or like something that's not healing properly. And I would work in his office in the summers and he would be like, you know, I'd answer the phones and then people would start telling me like, what was wrong with them? And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to schedule an appointment. I don't want to know anything about what's going on. Would you like to come in Tuesday or Wednesday? That's all I can give you. Please don't tell me what's leaking. I don't, I don't want to know. So I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, but I, I liked, um, law was really cool. My mom, but that came, my mom was like, you like to argue, like you should be a lawyer. And I think that was kind of like a sassy way of being like, you're being a smart mouth. Shut up. Um, so I, yeah, I really liked, uh, I, none of those were firm. None of those were firm. The only thing I knew is I didn't want to stop dancing. And then that became, oh, like you really want to dance, like sort of turning it into the positive. And then well, what does that kind of education look like? That's interesting because you went through a three to 18 dancing because you didn't, it sounds like you're like, okay, I'll just, I'll just do more dancing. But you got into college for it and continued to do it. Obviously, you were good, right? You were, you were doing I don't this. I do anything I'm not good at. I, I only oh, do fair. things that I'm good at. Like, you'll rarely, you'll never see me playing basketball. <laughs> no, I can't <laughs> play. I tried. I went to camp. I went to basketball camp for a week. I tried other things when I was younger. I was like, you know, let's try basketball or let's try... I was terrible. I was terrible. It was really always dance. I was very smart in school. I graduated valedictorian of my, you know, class in high school. I'm very proud of that because it was like one of the last academic achievements that really played into my life. But I I remember like accepting, like, you know, doing the speech. And then I was like, I'm the valedictorian of my high school. And I'm not go like the last valedictorian went to Harvard. The one before that went to Stanford. And I'm going to major in dance. Like, just <laughs> who is this kid? Um, but I really, you know, I love school and I had other options. Um, my sister kind of talked about that. She was like, I wasn't really worried about you. Like, our family wasn't worried. We were like, if dance doesn't work, like, she's smart. She'll figure it out. Like, she'll figure something out. Um, but I really, it became, yeah, I was really passionate about it. So it stuck in a way that nothing else did. Nothing else really resonated like that. Did you go into, I mean, you, you talked about the the teacher who like pushed you into Oklahoma, um, mm -hmm. in Oklahoma State. And um, I, I guess, did you ever have any, any doubt that that's what you were going to do? Or it's just, uh, that's what you went into college to do, that you were going to continue to do it. And right. did, did the smarts, did the, did the dancing, did that come easy for you? And what I'm getting at was, was it a lot of pressure to continue to work hard and be the best? Or were you like, just day after day, this is where I am, and you continued because you didn't realize how hard it was in general? I, um, it wasn't easy. Like, I, I needed to go to school. I needed dedicated dance training because I wasn't at, I don't think I was at a professional level that I would have been proud of coming into the city with. 
education is also always very important to me. I love school. I still love learning. I, you know, give me an online course and I'll do it. Like, let's go. Like, I love learning. I love school. Education was always very important to me. My parents were very supportive of me going to um, becoming a dancer, but I had to go to college. Like it had to be some kind of degree. You're going to get somebody's degree from somewhere. And if it's Oklahoma City University, great. So I, I, you know, dancing was hard. Like I trained really hard. I didn't come in at the highest level in my dance, like, you know, college classes. And I worked busting my ass to get there. Um, I'm kind of scrappy. Like, and then, you know, the same thing has happened with me as an actress and a dancer um, and as a singer uh, in professionally, and, and I see something or I see people operating at a certain level and I figure out how to get there. I've been taking, you know, voice lessons forever uh, to get to playing something like Lori Williams on the national tour. I've been taking acting lessons forever to be able to show up on TV and things like Run the World and Damascus and have things, you know, working for me because I love the craft. So it wasn't easy. I did have, what I like to say is like, okay, I didn't do basketball because I only threw bricks. They only hit the rim and they only never went in. But with dance, I had enough, you know, juice (laughs) to get, I had enough like high golds, you know, maybe it wasn't all the way at the platinum, but I was getting a high gold. They liked me that I was like, this isn't (laughs) enough to keep going. So I did, you know, like I, w- I kept going because I had enough encouragement from teachers and from performances and from family to know like I wasn't bad. I was good. Like I had promise in it. There was something about me, but it that doesn't mean that you don't need to know. The idea that people just have natural talent and that's how everyone is existing in this artistic world is not true. And it's really hard for people who are trying to come up and you know, facing a challenge in their voice or a challenge in their skill set and trying to figure out how do I overcome this? And there's no magic answer. You go to class, you train, like you figure it out, you find a good teacher and you stick with them. And if you don't, if you're not learning in one place, you find another place to learn. Um, so I, that's also a part of my history is just really a lot of training, a lot of grit and a lot of like, damn it, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to be good at it. We're going to take a short break Stay tuned for more of the episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, that that's... 
you touch on something that a lot of people have uh, talked about too. In that, to be the best or to be to move up and be part of the best, it's about continually learning and about continually improving and practicing. So once you get those ten Tony Awards, you got to keep taking voice lessons. You're you're because if you don't, then somebody else who is is gonna just right, jog right on past you. It's a muscle where athletes, like you have to train, you have to rest you and you have to train and you have to, to be able to perform and you have to keep doing it throughout the pandemic. Like I took voice lessons every three weeks. It didn't matter that like, we didn't know when we were coming back or what was going on. And it's the only way that I was able to come back and jump into a show and sustain myself, um, traveling across the country, singing, you know, a full score. Like it's, it took a lot, but I have the training and the technique and the stamina to be able to do that. But you have to train, which is why the thing that really drives what we do is not the awards. And it's not those things. It's the, it has to be the love of the craft. Otherwise, I would yeah. have gone yeah. to law school and I would be making a lot of money somewhere else, like in a stable environment and not the craziness that can be theater. Like I would have gone and done, you know, I always say that I'm like, if I wasn't going to do theater, I was going to go guarantee my income for the rest of my life some way. <laughs> um, the theater is like crazy and wild and acting and TV and film. All of it is just sort of like the wild, wild west of like existence and sustaining yourself as a person. But I do love it. And I love the craft and I love growing and what it offers to people and what it always gives back to me. Well, it's what, it's what make, what makes people feel that's, that's what's so important. I think about art and, and I, uh, that's what I missed about COVID, uh, with art not being able to sit in an audience or stand on stage and, and go on a journey with, with a room full of strangers. Like that's my version of spirituality, just being able to uh, cry next to a, a complete yeah. stranger and know that we're feeling the same thing about the same scenario that we're watching, right? Like that whole environment to me is what makes art and especially singing and dancing, the movement, the vibration of instruments just so yeah. incredibly unique and special. Yeah. I always think about theaters as a church. Theater is definitely a sanctuary. It's a place where people come to feel and collectively um, ponder, you know, a subject. And that can be about human existence. It can be about God. It can be about each other. Um, but theater is definitely a form of church. And I, I, I love like when you get those feelings of like, yeah, everybody's here and we may not all agree on everything about everything, but we're all here having this experience right now. And that's really important. Like we need that catharsis together. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with COVID. And you, you mentioned too that, um, I guess, well, what was, I'll back up a second. So when did the, the tour, the Oklahoma tour begin? Because the revival... Uh, on Broadway, when they won Best Revival in 2019, the Tony Award for that. So when did the tour kick in after that? Uh, so we won Best Revival in 2019. And right. we went from, we opened, I think it was like early, like March of uh, 2019 through January 2020. And we closed January 2020. I knew the tour was launching in August and we were in talks about what that would be in the schedule and my, you know, everything, my involvement in it. And then COVID hit in March and everything went like everything. Oh, went so the tour, it. the tour never, never launched no. pre COVID. Oh no. So you've got like this role, yeah. you're leading this company. It's all <laughs> set to go. And then everything shuts 
down. And did you start calling I mean, up yeah. law schools? <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. I was <laughs> online classes. I looked at some online classes, what they had to offer on the online. Um, it was it was hard. Like it there's it was hard and it wasn't. I think like when you talk about specifically theater people and actors in general, we're we deal with a certain amount of an uncertainty, right? We deal with like, I don't know what's happening in six months, or I don't know where I'll be in eight months or a year. Like you totally can get to a certain level where like you're like, oh yeah, the next three years are blocked out. And God bless Brad Pitt, right? Like, what a great guy. But like, that's not me. Like, I don't always know what's coming next. So when we shut down, there was this like, whoa, that's crazy. And then there was also like, it's always crazy. Like, I can deal with this for a couple of weeks or what we thought might be six weeks and then, you know, a couple of months. And then as it dragged on, I do believe there was this feeling of like across the industry of reevaluating like how we approach it, what your involvement is with it. I have lots of friends who left the industry and not in a way that's like, I can't do this anymore, but just in a way that's like, I think I'm transitioning. And I think the way that I want to interact with my craft and art is different, um, which is beautiful. And then there are those of us who have the ability and the privilege and the will to like reapproach. And knowing that I had Oklahoma, like we would get updates every couple of months and I'd be like, all right, you know, just call me when we're going into rehearsal. Like I'll think we'll figure it out. And I was still auditioning. I did some TV in between. I shot Run the World, like during the pandemic, TV and film started up a little bit before, well, a lot before theater was able to, just because they're able to operate differently. You don't have to get like, you know, thousands of people into one place for TV um, and film. So I started to do that. And there were a lot of like artistic things were introduced into my life. Chaos Twins came about. Like I just started doing different things, which kept my time occupied and me growing artistically um, while waiting for this big machine of theater to like kind of restart. So it wasn't an empty time. And I, I, as much as I joke about like leaving, like I never strayed very far away from theater crafts. Uh, but I, I'm glad to see it back for sure. And it was lovely like to finally get, you know, the email and the call and the calendar that's like, this is it. We're ready to go. We're starting rehearsals this day. And then my agents being like, you know what? We really got to nail this down because it's actually happening now. Um, so that was a really... But it really was a like over a year of just kind of being like big shrug, like I don't know, we'll see when it happens if it happens. So where did where did Damascus come into play in the timeline too? Because you're let's see, Damascus is going to air on AMC. It's an upcoming sci-fi comedy on AMC. Yeah. So sci-fi, sci-fi and comedy, two things that I love in AMC in general. So I can't wait to watch this. So, but when, I guess, was that like a self tape? I, so many people have gotten these big roles off of just sitting in their apartment with some yeah. good lighting and a self tape. Listen, a ring light can take you a long way these days. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I've been auditioning while I've been on the tour because of the pandemic, our schedule has been a, a bit um, sort of broken up. So we have, we've had like four weeks here, two weeks off here. We've had a couple of layoffs that like didn't, wouldn't really exist without the chaos of trying to put a tour back together after a pandemic. Um, but silver linings, you know, always, I have been auditioning while I've been out on the road, especially for things that fell during my layoff and Damascus was one of them. So we had a long summer layoff. Um, I think we were off for like seven weeks. 
And for about four of those weeks, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was a big hole. And I think we were trying to go to Canada. I think we were trying to get into Toronto and like the, their regulations and our regulations. It's like, you got to have enough time to like set the date, sell the tickets, present all the thing. And it just, you know, it wasn't, it didn't happen, which I'm sad. You know, I really would have loved to have gone to Toronto, but instead I ended up filming Damascus in Atlanta for a couple of weeks. And I am so excited about this show. Um, it is a sci-fi comedy. It, I was laughing out loud. Like when I read the script for the audition, I had, uh, you know, it was actually on zoom. I thought it was going to be a self tape, but I actually ended up on zoom, which is a whole other thing because you can't put your laptop into a ring light. So you have to figure out how to get your laptop at a height that makes sense. Um, for your Zoom. And I don't trust the camera. I'm like, I need to see everything. That's, I need to see them too. Like, I need to know what's going on. So I, for, but I auditioned with my computer um, and my ring light behind it for the proper lighting, of course. And um, I did a couple of calls with that and ended up, you know, booking it. And um, I'm super excited about it. It's the coolest thing. I got to reunite with Oak, a dear friend from Hamilton. Um, we're like playing opposite each other. And it's just, it's, I've never seen anything like it. It's a show about a 33-year-old Black man going through this alternate reality therapy. And so you start to really, you're following him through these different pathways that his life could have taken. And, you know, had something been slightly different or had he made a different choice or were he, you know, some other character in a, you know, in a religious monastery somewhere else. Like you don't know like where he's going to end up but it's all related to like this therapy that he's going through and it kind of just gets wilder and wilder and you get a little like lost in this like world that he's in. Um, and uh, I play his girlfriend of three years. Who's like, what the hell is going on? Like, where are you? What is happening? Um, and I had just an awesome time. Do you get to be different variations of, of the same character? So you get to like hit different extremes. I won't give too much away in that regard, but I will say there's a lot of, character a lot of people showing up in ways you didn't expect for sure yeah that's that's a lot of fun i love it, it watching uh the range of actors when you get to do the same scene over and over again but in different right. slightly different ways or different scenery or different props or whatever the case is so yeah this is something that will definitely be on my watch list because i love sci-fi multiverse is great comedy uh this sounds right up my alley so i'm gonna yeah. be there i will be there love virtually it. watching um, and Oklahoma too, talking about being there, you've been all over the country. So uh, this, um, I saw Oklahoma, I saw it off Broadway, I saw it on Broadway. So this, the production is completely reimagined for those who, who didn't have the privilege of seeing it. There's no overture, no chorus. Uh, the entire cast is 12. And it's such a diverse uh, new take on the classic story of, of Oklahoma, right? So you've got... Uh, a woman of color playing the lead who's one of your love interests is another woman. And it, it's just, it's so modern and well-needed and well-deserved in this time. And I bring all of this up because it's cool, but also because you're traveling, you're touring through states, through cities that are notoriously not so, uh, uh, especially in current times, open with these yeah. sort yeah. of decisions. Yeah. How has that experience been on your side? It's been eye-opening. Um, it's been hard. And it also has stirred a lot of c- 
compassion, I think, within myself, or just maybe understanding of like how deep some of the divides are that we're dealing with. But also that some of those divides stem from exactly what our show is sort of handling. People, our show Oklahoma is about a community And that community has a certain set of roles and identities and beliefs about the proper way to be, how to run their territory, how to, you know, they're raising money for a schoolhouse. Like you see things that are important to them, education, family, business, running the farm, like, and then cultivating this land. And they have a certain belief about how those things must go. And who plays what role in those things. And as the show progresses, someone like Judd Fry, we also have a federal marshal played by Ugo Chukwo, who um, he starts, he's coming in as a federal marshal as the state, as the territory is becoming a state. So he's also imposing new rules, new laws. Judd is going against this idea that he has to stay a farmhand and he has no right to pursue Lori. Lori is going against the idea that she is destined for Curly and saying, well, what if Judd is actually an option for me? Why don't I have options? Why can't I choose what I want? Why can't I explore? Ado Annie is like, I can't say no. Like I want to explore all of these things and no one has explained to me why I can't do that. So I, I should be able to date Whichever one I'm with, one of the things she says is like, you know, well, which one do you like the best between this peddler that she's seeing and that cowboy that she's seeing? And she says, ah, whichever one I'm with, that's the one I like. Like, what's wrong with that? Um, so there's all these questions that are being asked. And what we see is that as people continue to push, there's a level of violence that starts to arise and threat mm. and danger. And it ends in murder. It ends in eliminating a major threat to the way of life. Now, that reflects a lot of our American history all over the country. Yeah. There are places in this country that hold it more, maybe more dear or um, because I, 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 you know, there's the stereotype of like, well, New York is progressive and D.C. is progressive. And then Georgia and Alabama and Nashville, Tennessee, they're going to be really conservative. And like on the surface, yes, but racism exists everywhere in this country, like um, sexism exists everywhere in this country. Homophobia, hate, like all of xenophobia, all of these things exist in this country everywhere. They just exist in different ways. And sometimes it's a little more hidden and insidious than it is. But what I will say about places like the South, having grown up in Georgia, is there are very strong ideas about how to live, how to be, where to go to church, what to eat for Sunday dinner. Like it's, it's intense. And I grew up in that. And I, there wasn't always room for me in that to be myself. Like even my hair, I have a big Afro now. Like I grew up with a perm. I grew up straightening my hair chemically because that's the thing that you do. That's the Mm. rite of passage when you're, you know, 10 years old is to get your hair straightened, to literally damage the, the curl pattern of your hair so that you fit into and can assimilate into a white dominant culture as a black person. So those are like, I'm very familiar with it. And that to me, the damaging of your hair is a form of like social violence. Like it's because I feel like I have to fit in. I have to chemically alter a part of my body to be accepted versus now when I walk around in the South, sometimes people are like, oh my God, like what is, you know, who is like, I'm very conspicuous because it's not what people are used to looking at. 
And um, mm-hmm. that's something I've learned in growing up and leaving the South and coming back. And it's home and I have family there and I love and friends and so much support, but it's tough. And so then when they're, when you're in a community like that <laughs> and you're bringing in a piece that is like directly like going against or disrupting that kind of mentality saying like, but what if we go against the grain? It has a very deep effect. And sometimes that effect looks like people walking out during intermission. Sometimes that effect looks like somebody booing you at the end of the show. Um, and sometimes that effect looks like somebody sitting in shock or crying or laughing at the end. Like there are a lot of different emotions that come up for people. And what I have tried to do is just take the step back and say like, I'm, this is, you're entitled to your experience. And I hope my intention and I, our intention is to start to break this open, to start to maybe crack something that you took for granted about this story or maybe even your own life so that you can maybe see people in a different light, maybe crack you open just a little bit and try not to take personally some of the, I mean, insults like on message boards and critiques of the show. Some people have been, they're very nice. They'll be like, the actors were great, but this production is horrible, you know? But like, we're like, this is our production. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's tough, but I've tried to kind of approach it with a level of compassion and inclusion of, you know, everyone and just say, yeah, there's a lot of different ideas in the room. And that's why we do theater. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's a, a wonderful way of looking at it, approaching it with compassion. Because, I mean, like you said, if you match hate with hate, which is historically what we've done, right. you, if you defense, you, you defend with defensiveness, then you're just going to end up with bloodshed and fighting and yeah. conflict. And, and and for everybody that I mean, for every one person that boos or is unhappy, there's got to be dozens more that are silent, stunned silence in a positive way that, that are going on like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there, or, or the young child or even like an adult rather that, like you were saying, they feel like they have to assimilate so they don't say anything, but that seed is taken with them, right? They leave yeah, and, and they're like, you know what? I, I don't think I need to be like this totally anymore. And then it just starts to grow and grow and grow. 
Absolutely. And it's really important. And it's important that I realize that. And I do think it's very important that while I'm performing, that my intention does come from a place of love and compassion for that exact purpose. Because I don't want to sow a seed of someone saying, well, I don't have to be like this. And it be a seed of hate or anger, but that it be a seed of like understanding yourself and compassion for yourself and compassion for the people that are in your um, community that maybe don't understand you, that you are still taking a message of love um, out with you into the theater, into the world, from the theater into the world. Because we definitely need more of that. And we definitely don't need more just like stark conflict and, you know, my way or no way or like this is wrong. There needs to be some fluidity to it. Um, so that's, it's important. And I, I'm not saying it's always been like that. There are times when I get angry on stage, but one, I'll tell you one of the one things I realized, I'm like, I can't get angry and like sing really loud. I'm going to blow my voice out for somebody who's like angry at me. Like, why would I do that? Like, this is my tool. So you start to realize you're like, I have to take care of myself. I have to keep my integrity and my intention and just trust that whatever process is happening, you know, and within this audience member or this audience member, that all of those things are coming from, at least from me and my performance, coming from a place of love and honesty. Hmm. Do, do you, in your production, do you still serve the chili and cornbread at intermission? We don't. COVID oh, took the that was one of my favorite parts. Oh, I went down and got that hard. cornbread from Mary, from, got the chili from Mary Testa. Yeah, when I was a standby on Broadway, we used to, um, we would eat the, you know, we would eat it if I was off stage and I needed a little snack. I'd just like go down at intermission and be like, can I get a little cup of chili? <laughs> I guess probably COVID, with COVID rules, you don't want to be serving food to no. thousands of people. But yeah, I get it. There's definitely I places. I think there was one, I think when we were in Huntsville, they had their own like chili reception, like for the audience. Like, so it wasn't us <laughs> like no we're doing the chili so like there was a whole room like adjacent to the theater that smelled of chili because they had done their own chili reception oh that's smart <laughs> that's that's what they yeah. need to do everywhere yeah i think uh out, outside of they should have like a touring truck a food truck that drives along with the tour so outside the house people just come out and just and get chili in it and uh incorporate that's all they need <laughs> I'm done with that. All right. So let's wrap up the episode, y'all, with three closing questions I ask everybody. The first one just simply is what motivates you? Hmm. Uh, what motivates me is the story of my family and the fact that I get to do theater and acting for a living is kind of a miracle. And my ancestry, in the line of my ancestry, to come from like, you know, up from slavery into this is an absolute miracle. And so I take a lot of the intention set by my grandparents, my great-great-grandparents and my family. And I just try to live that out and trust that this wild ride that I'm on is, is for a purpose and means is significant. And I approach it with a lot of gratitude. Mm. Beautiful. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Ooh, set goals, set small goals and big goals, and then forget all of it and then come back to it. And <laughs> know that the path is very windy. Um, it's not linear at all. 
Um, a lot of things about your path may not reflect your, be reflective of your actual gifting or talent. Um, but you, it really is about hard. There's a lot a large component of hard work that goes into it and being prepared for your opportunities. And the more that you can, this is the real advice. This is the real thing. Don't, uh, or sorry, I don't I want to put it in the positive. I want to phrase it in the positive. Set goals without fear of not reaching them. Sometimes I feel as though I may have limited, I could have limited myself or I may have allowed limiting beliefs to not let me set the radical goals that I wanted. And maybe at 22, like thinking that's crazy. But what I also know is that even in that, I reached a lot of goals that I had no idea I could. And so as I've progressed in my career, my roles, my my goals have gotten more radical. Um, mm. And that's really important to not let fear limit the goals that you set for yourself, but also to not judge yourself too harshly when those things don't come about the way that you, or in the timing or the way that you think that they should. So it's a weird cosmic balance that you have to, but set the goals, forget about them, set them again, set small ones for the day, set large ones for the rest of your life. And don't let fear uh, interrupt that. Go with the flow, dude. That's all you got to do. You yeah. literally must. There is actually <laughs> no other choice but to go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the final question is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Um, <laughs> well, in my waking life, it's Frasier. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I watch it incessantly. Um, I think it's a brilliant show. These are all TV shows. Also, The West Wing. If anyone knows of you know Nick and I and Chaos Twins, we are big fans of The West Wing. So I could definitely watch that over and over. And if it was a Broadway show, like a theater show, I mean, Oklahoma is up there. And I can only say because I had to. I watched it a lot. I watched it a lot off Broadway. I'm um, on Broadway and and learning it. And I. Uh, it's really a gem. There's lots of gems in there. We need to do like a Broadway show with Kelsey Grammer and Bradley Whitford or something. Like just combine all yeah, of your worlds there. Combine, and another one of my shows and one of my all-time favorites is Living Single. Um, old sitcom. I was watching this probably when I shouldn't have been allowed to watch this show, but I fell in love with it. I think it's a brilliant sitcom. And if there is a like there is a reboot of Frasier in the works, but if they had ever want to cross pollinate that thing with, uh, with living single, like that's what I'm watching forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Oh, all, all great shows uh, and good choices. All right. So where can we find you online? How can we connect you on social media? You can connect with me at, at Sasha Hutchings on Twitter and Instagram. I think I have a TikTok, but it's, you can try to find me on there. I'm not really on there a lot, but it's there. <laughs> Uh, you may find something, I don't know, maybe somebody's hacked into it by now and it's a whole profile that I have no control over. Uh, and then you can also catch me, <laughs> you can catch me on season two of Run the World coming out next year and season one of Damascus next year. Um, yeah, I got a lot. I'm, I'm around. I'm around. 
I can't wait for Damascus. That sounds so, so cool. Uh, You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm not on any TV coming out anytime soon that I know of. So, you know, just find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Leave a rating and review wherever you are listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. Thank you to my recent COVID infection for my great radio voice. And thank you, Sasha, for such a wonderful and enlightening conversation. I had such a good time. Me too. Thanks for having me. It was good to be here. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.